Welcome to the Emmanuel Message Podcast. For more information about us, check us out online at kenosha.church or on Facebook or Instagram at kenosha.church. This week, Andy talks about how a follower of Christ is part of a big family. One of the greatest benefits of placing our faith and trust in Jesus is that you are adopted into the family of God. Let's turn to Romans 8.12 and find out how you can know that you are a child of God. Enjoy the message. Well, good morning, Emmanuel Kenosha Church and everybody online and church online and Emmanuel Kenosha Church at Kenosha.Church. We're so happy that you're with us this morning on this last Sunday in July. And as Tom had said, we just love it. If you're our guest today here on this summer Sunday, uh, you are a VIP. Make sure you do fill that out and you can go for better than Speedway. I'm sorry, Tom. Um, we, I was traveling with Tom this week. I, was, I spoke for a few days out in Omaha and I would go for the premium coffee, but he was so happy for the cruddiest cup of coffee off Interstate 80. I don't even know where we're at, Mike. Look at you go for that. So anyway, you can go for Speedway if you want, but I'm saying if you're a guest, go for the best coffee in Kenosha. All right, anyway, I digress. Hey, uh, we have been in Empire's Volume 2, and we're getting ready to close off this volume here in the next few weeks, but we're going to close this volume off with a bang because Romans chapter 8 is absolutely awesome. Holy Spirit's mentioned 22 times uh, in this chapter alone. And so last week, uh, we talked about the spirit of assurance. More on that in just a second. But next week, we're going to talk about the spirit of hope, spirit of intercession the following week, and then we'll close uh, off this volume with the spirit of triumph. Uh, again, last week we talked about what it meant to have the spirit of assurance. It's what many theologians call the most important verse uh, when it comes to knowing uh, Christian health and well-being. It's Romans chapter 8, verse 1. In fact, let's read it again. Romans 8, 1. It's so good. We, we just have to mention it. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Uh, isn't that, isn't that verse amazing, right? That, that verse should uh, evoke a hoop in a hollower, right? There is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. If you've placed your faith and trust in Jesus, this promise is for you. It is a deluge of assurance that not only are you justified when you place your faith and trust in Jesus, that means you're declared not guilty, but the punishment of our sins have been inverted and exchanged for God's favor over your life. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, we have the assurance that we can now boldly approach the throne in heaven. And that we no longer have to live this life in fear, but that we can live it uh, in a life in trusting God and living in, in peace. And you know, not living in fear, but living in faith is completely contrary to what we're being uh, faced with today. But we can indeed live in the peace of Christ that surpasses understanding. So we're going to be in Romans chapter 8. We're going to start at verse 9 this morning. Uh, we kind of teed it up last week, so Romans chapter 8, verse 9, so I want you to turn there in your Bibles or your, your uh, Manuel Kenosha Church app, and the words will be on the screen for our guests. As you're turning there, uh, let me just ask you this question, all right? Have you ever felt like you didn't belong somewhere? Have you ever felt like in that spot, like you just felt way out of place, and when you're in that place, you're like, how, get me out of here, how can I get out of this place Really, really quickly. And for many of you, how many of you think of family reunions? Just be honest, right? When you're like, okay, family reunions, especially the really extended ones where, like, you have this uh, aunt twice removed, but she's only your aunt by law, right? And she's, you know, telling these crazy stories and telling how the last time I saw you were this big and just, you know, okay, you're like, oh, get me out of here, right? Or maybe it's Thanksgiving dinner and you actually have to share a meal, right? And it's, it's like UFC cage match ready to happen at any moment. Or maybe you feel like 
like you don't belong because sometimes they're that third wheel, maybe a third wheel in that group or that friendship, and it just feels like you're listening to or watching conversations happen, and the conversation would happen whether you were there or not. You know, as an extrovert, I tend to jump into any conversation, okay? And, and here's my secret, by the way. Uh, I, there was a period of time uh, in school, uh, growing up in, in middle school, I wouldn't have considered myself an extrovert. I just kind of kept to myself. And then something clicked around eighth grade. I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to make a go for it. And so and it's been great. And I, and, but my wife's an introvert, so, you know, it's, it's all right. You don't have to, I'm not telling you to convert to extrovertism uh, today. I'm just saying, I'm going to give you a secret on how literally you can connect with anybody. And how you can connect with anybody is you might not know anything about a person, but all you have to do is listen for something that you can share a common interest or something that you know something with. You can begin to ask questions and dialogue and conversation. It's ways that you can jump into almost any and all conversation. So I love connecting with people, and I have found that a great way of relating. Uh, but there are sometimes, even then, I feel like a complete outsider. Uh, six years ago, I went on a sabbatical. Uh, right before I was uh, becoming lead pastor, I went on sabbatical, and I visited churches all across the country. And I wanted to see how they did their life groups. I wanted to see how they did their hospitality. I just wanted to see what it felt like being a new person within a church. And many of the churches were knocking it out of the park. But I was in this one church, and I won't say what it is, out west, and they had the reputation of being the best, all right? In fact, when I met with the staff, they're like, we are the best. And I don't know how you measure that. I don't know if you should even say that. You should, probably shouldn't, right? Humility factor, right? But they were like, we are the best at hospitality. We are the best at reaching people. We are the, we are the best experience. I'm like, okay, all right, well, I'm here to learn, I guess, all right? So I showed up on Sunday morning expecting, well, the best, right? But as I showed up, I opened my own door. There was literally no host team, nobody in the lobby, zero, not a zip. I didn't know where to go. And as a pastor, I began to sweat. All right, I'm like, okay, where do, where do I go? Do I go here? What's the next steps? Where can I find information? And so I, I felt really, really out of place. And this was, I'm glad I experienced this because it reminds me that for many people, going and stepping into a new church is one of the most nerve-wracking situations. That's why when you invite somebody to church, when you use your invite card, Always, always be proactive in saving a seat next to you, kind of arranging, just creating, getting rid of some of that stuff that really stresses people out. And I was stressed out in this lobby. So I'm like, all right, I'm going to get into the worship center. I found the worship center. There was no directional signs. Went into the worship center. And of course, what do you do if you're new sometimes, right? Yes, sit in the back. That's exactly I get to sit in the back today, all right? I'm not preaching on the stage. I'm sitting in the back. So I sat in the back. And little did I realize, well, I realized this actually quite quickly, is that I must have sat in somebody's seat, all right? Now, I know we all do it. We have a general area that we like to sit, and sometimes maybe even here, like, this is my seat, right? But, uh, but I would imagine if somebody sat in your seat, and uh, this shouldn't be in our culture here, right? But if somebody sat in your seat, you wouldn't get militant about it, right? I mean, in church history, people did get militant about their seats. In fact, uh, there was a time in history that you would buy your seat, and then you would decorate your seat. This was a pew at the time. And some people, even in church history, would create a gate and they would lock their pew so nobody else can sit in it. So people in church history have gotten really serious about the seats that they sit in. And so apparently, uh, that's kind of how this church was. So I was sitting down. It's a rather large church. I was sitting down in the back. And apparently, I sat in this family seat. And the reason why I knew is this family, and they were a large family, about a family of eight, uh, they saw that I was sitting in their seat, and instead of asking me to move or them going somewhere else, 
They just wanted to make me feel like and know that I was sitting in their seats. So four of them sat on my right, four of them sat on my left, and I was sandwiched in to this family's row. And it got even more awkward uh, at the handshaking time, the hello time. You know, for introverts, you hate that time, right? Extroverts, like, yes, right? And so I'm standing up, I'm an extrovert, and I'm sweating bullets. So I'm like, okay, I already know I'm out of place. And these people that were in front of them, that, that must have been their row, because as they're shaking hands, like, oh, how are you this Sunday? So good to see you again this week. You could tell, like, they, they shake the same hands each week. That's not what the handshaking time is supposed to be about. But anyway, I digress. It's like, oh, hello, Susie. Hello, Bob. Hello, Peter. And then they get to mean like who are you i'm like my name is andy i'm just and she turns to the mom says susie is this like your long lost brother or something who is this man who is the man and i said well i am the man but that's i'm not with them all right and it was absolutely uh well not welcoming but i felt completely out of place and i'm like get me out of here let's just say i didn't feel part of the family i didn't feel like i fit and the sad thing is that's exactly opposite of what church should feel like, right? That's why, indeed, we want this place to be the most hospitable place of somebody's week. Uh, each and every week, we have people that come in here that literally are giving church maybe perhaps their last shot. Or maybe, maybe they've never been to church before. And for those of you that come to church each and every week, we want you to feel the family of God. Because that's exactly what happens. When you place your faith and trust in Jesus, you just don't, you don't join an institution. You don't join a club. Heaven forbid that, right? You are implanted in the family of God. It should feel like family. It should feel like at home. And so when I didn't feel like I fit, it was the exact opposite of what God does for you when you place your faith and trust in Jesus. So let's take a look. Let's read first. Uh, let's go to verse 12, Romans chapter 8, verse 12. So then, brothers and sisters, we are not obligated to the flesh to live according to the flesh, because if you live according to the flesh, you're going to die. But if by the Spirit you put the deeds, death the deeds of the body, you will live. For those who are led by God's Spirit are God's sons. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. Instead, you received the spirit of adoption, by which we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies together with our spirit that we are God's children. And if children, also heirs and heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him. So church, when you place your faith and trust in Christ alone, he places you, what we see here very explicitly, we'll unpack here today, that you are placed in the family of God. And as a result, you receive all the privileges of what it means to be in his favor, being his children. And one of the greatest privileges that you receive when you place your faith and trust in Jesus is the privilege of being able to commune with his spirit. The same spirit that rose Jesus Christ from the dead lives in you and resurrects you to allow you to live this new life and empower. And so our main idea this morning as we unpack being in the family of God is this, is that the spirit speaks to his children. The Holy Spirit speaks to his children. The Spirit testifies that we are children of God. And he does this. He testifies, and what we will unpack this morning is, by his power, by his leading, by his favor, and by his voice. So let's take a look at the first one. He speaks to us by his power. Verse 12. So then, brothers and sisters, we are not obligated to the flesh to live according to the flesh. Because if you live according to the flesh... You are going to die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. We are no longer obligated. If you're in Christ, if you place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior, you're no longer obligated uh, to live by your fallen nature. 
but by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit can put to death the deeds uh, that defined your life before Christ. Now, if you're new to church this morning, this is a beautiful truth. It means this, that you do not have to clean your life up before you can place your faith and trust in Jesus. He receives you as you are, literally. People have come up with a number of just crazy scenarios, and my life is like, and, and my answer is this, uh-huh, yep, yep, he'll receive you, yep, he'll receive you. That's crazy, that's maddening. Well, who would do that? Jesus, the grace of Jesus is able to cover any and all sins. And so that is a beautiful truth that we don't have to get religious or clean our life up before we receive Jesus, but Jesus doesn't leave you where you're at, and that's why he gives you the Spirit. He gives you the Spirit so that you have the power to transform. So this passage should be massively, uh, it should be a massive encouragement uh, to any and all our weaknesses that we encounter in our life, the stumbling blocks, those sins that easily entangle our life. And it is an encouragement because through the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, we can and will overcome. Jesus died for your sins on the cross to overcome and give you freedom in Christ. Not freedom so that you can stay who you are or stay in your sins or to live in the sin that you lived before Christ. No, you are freed to live for Jesus. You are freed to have bold access to Jesus. You are freed to live in the power of the Holy Spirit. So what is the key ingredient of putting to death the deeds of the body? Let's take a look. Let's go back to verse 9. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God lives in you. If anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. Now, if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit gives life because of righteousness. Verse 11. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you, then he who raised Christ from the dead will also bring your mortal bodies to life through the spirit who leads in you. So Paul is making very, very clear in this passage... That as a follower of Christ, the Holy Spirit is the one who initially opens your eyes so that you can see, lets your ears hear, and gives you a heart that's able to receive the gospel. And upon receiving the gospel, or upon placing your faith and trust in Jesus, the Bible says you are born again. Your spirit is made alive. The Holy Spirit resurrects your soul. Uh, the Holy Spirit was the divine agent that rose Jesus Christ from the dead. Is that same divine agent that gives you new life and allows you to have a new destiny, a new destiny that starts now and lasts forever, a destiny that can be lived in the power of the Spirit and not your own strength. So Paul's making clear, if you have Christ, you have his Holy Spirit. Because it's very clear, if you don't have, you don't have Christ, if you don't have the Holy Spirit. If you don't have the Holy Spirit, you don't have Christ. If you don't have the Holy Spirit, sin indwells you, it influences you, its control is out of control. Without Christ, without the Spirit, you see the world in a very, very different light. I mean, have you ever thought of that? Why, why do people, how could they read the Bible? How could they see world events? How could they process things that seem so contrary to how you see things? It's because it's not that you're any smarter or any different. It's because the Holy Spirit comes to live in you. He begins to illuminate your eyes. He allows you to see and hear things, even read Scripture differently. Because the scripture was written by the Holy Spirit, moved through 40 different individuals. And the Holy Spirit, when you read scripture, begins to speak to your spirit and aligns your mind to the truth of God's word. Christ is freely given to all who receive him. And when you receive Christ, the spirit indwells to fight the indwelling sin. 
And, and, and we see this, that our body is indeed even called the temple of the Holy Spirit. That's why we're to take care of our temple. It's why we have to be fragrant with it. It's, it's, it's not my body, it's the Lord's, right? It's the temple of the Holy Spirit. Paul tells the church in Galatia, which was rife with strife, it said this in uh, Galatians 5.16, I'll put it on the screen. I say then, walk by the Spirit, and you will certainly not carry out the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is against the Spirit, and the Spirit desires what is against the flesh. These are opposed to each other so that you don't do, so that you don't do what you want. Now, this leads us to a question. If when you place your faith and trust in Jesus, and the Holy Spirit comes to indwell in you, live in you, why is it that there are some people uh, that, are, that live powerless lives? Why is it it seems like that there's whole sections of, of, of Christianity, people that claim Christ, that don't live any different than before Christ? Why is it there's times that we feel powerless? Why is it there's times it feels like the flesh is more powerful than the Holy Spirit? This question, by the way, is not trivial. This question, I believe, holds the key to why some people live in the power of the Holy Spirit and why that those know about the Holy Spirit but don't live in his power. So why is there some that live in the power of the Spirit and some that don't? Let's go back to verse 9. That word dwells. That word dwells in verse 9. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God lives or dwells in you. Uh, this comes from the Greek word of what we get, the word home. It's oikos. It, we use it for the, for the home. If you heard this word in, in Greek, you'd be like, oh, okay, my home. And in the American culture, when we think of our home, we, we often think of our physical, our physical house. And this is also true with the Spirit. The Spirit dwells. He makes a home uh, in your soul. He comes into our bodies, which is called the temple of the Holy Spirit. But when the Roman culture would hear that word oikos, they would not only think of someone's home, but they would think of those who lived in the home. And those who lived in the home in Roman culture was not often just the mother and father and children. It was the extended family upon extended family. Those of you that rose your hand saying, yeah, family reunions aren't my thing. It was a family reunion every day in Roman culture. But I think... The understanding of this word, of how it was used in, in Roman culture, is very informative for us. Is not only does the Holy Spirit come to live in you, but he wants to commune with you. He wants to have a personal relationship with you. And this is where many people miss it with the Holy Spirit. For many, the Holy Spirit is just some impersonal force that's out there and they know things about. But rather, the Holy Spirit is personal. He wants to know you. He wants, he wants you to know him and the power of the Holy Spirit. For many, they give their life to Jesus, and then that's it. The seeking and relationship with the Holy Spirit is passive at best and most often forgotten. Let me give you two quotes. You might want to get the phone out and take a picture of this, take a screenshot online. But two quotes that I believe are just absolutely convicting. One is from Francis Chan in his book on the Holy Spirit called Forgotten God. He says this, churchgoers all across the nation say the Holy Spirit has entered them. They claim that God has given them the supernatural ability to follow Christ, put their sin to death, and serve the church. Christians talk about being born again, say that they, have, that they were dead, but now they have come to life. We've, been, we've become hardened to those words, but they're powerful words. They have significant meaning. Yet when those outside the church see no difference in our lives, they begin to question our integrity, our sanity, and even worse, God. Here's another one that Francis Chan actually quotes this as well. It's from A.W. Tozer. 
we may as well face it. The whole level of spirituality among us is low. We have measured ourselves by ourselves until the incentive to seek higher platitudes in the things of the Spirit is all but gone. We've imitated the world, sought popular favor. We've manufactured delights uh, to substitute for the joy of the Lord and produce a cheap synthetic power to substitute for the power of the Holy Spirit. That's convicting, isn't it? The Spirit indeed makes a home, an oikos, in every single person who places their faith and trust in Jesus. It's a permanent indwelling of the Spirit. Uh, we, we learn elsewhere it's called a down payment to our future glory. It's a taste of the Spirit. But don't mistake the indwelling with the filling. And this is key. This is why so many people uh, can know things about the Spirit. The Spirit can actually take residence in their life. But yet it seems like there's no spirit in their life. It's because we've mistaken the indwelling with the filling. Ephesians 5.18 says that we are to be filled with the spirit. That word filled is a continuous and constant action. Throughout the book of Acts we see the followers of Christ uh, not just once be filled, but they are filled constantly on a number of occasions. In fact, those who were previously filled were filled afresh in Acts chapter 4. After they prayed, the whole building shook by the power of the Holy Spirit. Wouldn't that be cool that we were praying in this place and literally this building began to shake, right? Like, man, there was an earthquake in Kenosha because the Holy Spirit moved. I would love that. This isn't proverbial, by the way. This actually happened. And the place shook. They were filled with the Holy Spirit. And as a result of being filled with the Holy Spirit, they were filled with boldness. Why do they need boldness? Because in this culture, if you were to follow Christ, you could be put to death. You could lose your means. You could lose your home. You could lose it all. Often when one seeks the filling of the Spirit, people can remember the first moment they were filled. Sometimes it's quite dramatic. Other times it's a whisper. We are commanded to continuously seek to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Oftentimes it is a, it's something we need to prepare for. It's something that we need to pray for. It's something uh, that we want people to pray for us as well. Uh, that we, we would be so full of the Holy Spirit and so less full of ourselves. That the Holy Spirit would, would equip and empower for ministry. I once had a friend who was previously called, uh, closed off to the things of the Spirit. Uh, he thought the Holy Spirit was, he didn't really think about the Holy Spirit, really. Didn't think it functioned in any way. But he began to read uh, and take a closer look at the Bible. He had conversations with other followers of Christ. And he began to realize, I think I've overreacted. And he said something quite profound. He's like, I overreacted to what I saw were the abuses of the Holy Spirit that I threw the Holy Spirit completely out the window. And, and, and that can happen in a number of things, uh, whether it be our reading of scripture and we see how people react. Some people quit sharing their faith because they see people share Jesus in a very hateful way. Well, no, you need to share Jesus, right? Uh, we could take really good things and throw them out the window because we see somebody else do it in a terrible way. And that's exactly what he did. And, but he began to read scripture and began to seek the Holy Spirit anew, praying that we'd fill him afresh and empower him afresh for, for personal ministry and ministry in his life. And one particular night he was seeking to be empowered and filled afresh by the Spirit and he drifted off asleep. How many of you have drifted off asleep just praying before? It's okay, right? Just don't fall out the window, right? Anyway, he drifted asleep and he was awoken though. He was awoken to what he said was the most joyful experience and moment. He said it's like I was floating. He wasn't really floating. But he woke up and all the worries were, were, were gone. Uh, in fact, he, he felt the presence and peace of God. That's like the truths of the Lord had come alive and he believed them afresh and anew. And, 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 and of course, he's like, 
he just started praying and seeking out God. And he felt like the Lord was leading him to call me immediately and tell me. The problem was, it was 3 a.m. And so my phone rings, and when the phone rings at 3 a.m., what's it typically mean? Something really bad has happened, right? I got a call at 3 a.m. just last week, and guess what? Somebody was in the hospital, right? 3 a.m. calls, 99.9999% of the time are not good. Well, this was the exception. So I pick up the phone, thinking of the worst, and I hear screaming on the other end, just yelling on the other end. I'm like, okay, it's the worst. Hello? You can't believe this. I, I, the, spirit, I, I, the Spirit has filled me afresh. I, I, I'm experiencing the love and peace of God like I've never experienced before. Everything I've read in the Bible, I believe it. I believed it before, but I believe it. And I need to tell you this. I'm like, it's three in the morning. Couldn't you have told me this in the morning? It's like, yeah, 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 yeah. But I felt like the Lord just led me to call you right now. I'm like, well, great. I'm, I'm, I'm sharing my joy with you. I'm just a little sleepy, all right? He's like, no, 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 no. But I, I, I feel like I need to tell you something right now. I'm so happy. I'm like, great. Okay, what do you need to tell me? I feel like you're going to go in a season of just complete anxiety I'm like oh my goodness okay you're having a party here and now you just freak me out at 3 a.m saying I'm gonna go into a season of anxiety it's like anything else no nope, goodbye bye and I'm like I, I'm out I, I, Allison's awake at this point it's like what it's like well apparently I'm going to a season of anxiety great all right like <laughs> he's joyful in his house I'm trembling in my house now and you know what happened I'm somebody who didn't go through seasons of anxiety I went through about a year and a half of intense anxiety after that point it wasn't because of the phone call but I was able to pray and prep for it. That was a dynamic feeling of the Holy Spirit. But there's other times where it's a whisper. It can happen while you're praying. It could happen in the middle of the night. It could happen while you're actively walking in obedience. As the Spirit fills you, just like we see in, in Acts chapter 4, they were praying and, and, and the people received a filling of the Holy Spirit. Experiences in the Holy Spirit are important but let's place them in their proper context. It's the sizzle. You know what I mean? Like when you, when you get a steak like at, a, at Texas Roadhouse and you, you hear the sizzle as it coming to your, says come to your seat, it's like, it just, it's awesome, right? But if they're like, all right, you saw and smelled the sizzle, that's great. Like, whoa, 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 I want the steak, I want the steak, right? The Holy Spirit, it sizzles. But make no mistake, we do not seek experiences for experience sake. The Holy Spirit always shows up to fill up, to equip you for ministry. The Holy Spirit always fills up, shows up and fills up so that you can know his kindness and goodness in new and deeper ways. The Spirit equips for you. That's the stake. The experience is the sizzle. Too often in life and ministry, we try to do it without the Spirit. We try to go through life without the Spirit. But we need to reverse that script, don't we? We need to do ministry. We need to do life with an absolute holy desperation for the Holy Spirit. If we can do ministry and we can walk through life with our eyes closed and doing things in our own strength, yeah, you might not know how to do it, but you're not doing it on holy dependence on the Lord. The Holy Spirit is our only way that you can be sustained in doing what he's asking you to do. Without the Spirit, you can run a sprint, but the Spirit is the only way you can finish the marathon. With the Spirit, you can finish the race and you can finish it well. Back to verse 12. So then, brothers and sisters, we are not obligated to the flesh to live according to the flesh. Because if you live according to the flesh, 
you're going to die. But by the Spirit, you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. When you're in Christ, you are no longer in debt to your flesh. When you're in Christ, you no longer have to answer to every beckoning call of your flesh. The flesh is a mix of human sinful desires that include sinful motives, sinful affections, sinful speech. But by the Spirit, you can say no. No. Oh, I really want to do this. Oh, I really, oftentimes you really do want to do it, right? Oh, this feels so good. Or, oh, I want this. I, I'm kind of low right now. I need to get up here, right? No. You can say no because everything else, every sinful desire is a counterfeit to the joy, the passion, and power you receive in the Holy Spirit. You can say no. Sin will beckon. It will keep on knocking. But you can say no. It's like when you try to cancel cable, right? How many of you have tried to like cancel cable or your, or your phone company or something like that, right? And you get on to customer service and you're like, well, here goes three hours, right? And by the way, if you're in customer service, blessings to you, okay? So, but anyway, uh, <laughs> seriously, you have, to, you have to put up with angry people, I guess. But when you, when you call... Oh, I love this one. I called last week. I said, hey, I, wanna, I, I didn't realize I was paying for this. I, I was like paying for a cable box and stuff I didn't even know I, I had. So anyway, I'm like, hey, I'd like to get rid of this stuff. And like, okay, we're going to send you to retention. I'm like, all right, game on. Here we go. Retention, their job, and their only job is to retain you, okay? And so I'm like, all right, game on. Here we go. I was like, yes, I'd like to cancel my cable. And they didn't even try to like for me to stop canceling my cable or turning my box in. They went a completely different route. Like, oh, well, uh, while I look into that, would you like a new cell phone plan? And I said, no, I don't want a new cell phone plan. I just started a new cell phone plan. Don't need another one. Okay, well, how much are you paying a month? I'm like, oh, here we go. I'm like, I'm paying, you know, $45. Or, oh, we can do it for $35. No. Oh, you know what? My wife and I, we absolutely love the coverage of Coast to Coast. So uh, what's your address? I'm like, you already have my address. Yeah, but uh, well, I'm going to send you a SIM card, okay? SIM card's going in the mail. No. Oh, well, well, what? And then at this point. They got a little angry. They're like, now wait a minute. Why would you not want to save money? Why would you not want something that's better? It's because I said no. And you know what? In that moment, I realized this is a lot like sin, right? They won't take no for an answer. It'll keep on knock. It'll keep on beckoning. It'll keep on saying, but look at this deal or look what you're going to feel or look where this is going to take you. Come on, just say yes. Say yes, and sometimes you're sick and tired of the beckoning, so you say yes, so go away, but you realize they have another offer. But you're under no obligation to buy what the cable people are selling. You're no un under obligation to say yes to what sin is selling. You're under no obligation to buy what cable is selling. You're no under no obligation to say yes to sin. When you put to death the deeds of the body of the Spirit, you will live in the power of the Spirit. And now this is practically moving you from a me mentality to a God first mentality that loves others before yourself. To do what God desires, even when it won't make you happy, even when it's inconvenient, even when it doesn't make sense, but you realize, God, you're asking this, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. And what happens is, is when you're filled with the Spirit, 
those sins that are defined that your experience of your life before Christ begin to die. And you begin to walk in step with the renewal of who you are in Christ Jesus by the Spirit. So the Spirit speaks to his children by his power. Number one, by his power. Secondly, the Spirit speaks by his leading. Romans chapter 8 verse 14. For all those led by God's Spirit are God's sons. For all those led by God's Spirit are God's sons and daughters. To be led by the Spirit is one of the greatest confirmations that indeed you are sons and daughters of God. When God begins to lead you and, and speak to you and confirm things to you, it, it just, it's an amazing just window into kingdom purposes in your life. It's a great confirmation. Now, you may have heard the phrase, uh, usually someone makes a point and then they end the point with, we're all God's children. Have you heard that before? Like, out of context, we're all God's children. We should do this, fill in the blank, because we're all God's children. You've heard that phrase, right? I mean, you see the head nods if you've heard that phrase? Has anybody not heard that phrase? All right, so most of you heard that phrase. We're all God's children. Well, I hate to say this, but this phrase doesn't square up with anything that is said in Scripture. To be a child of God is only designated for those who have placed their faith and trust in Jesus. So that popular phrase, we're all God's children, only if you're in Christ. Usually that's left off. It is true that every human being is created on purpose, with purpose, in the image of God. But the designation of being a child of God is an exclusive status for those who have placed their faith and trust in Jesus. Now, uh, the, following Jesus is the most exclusive, inclusive uh, thing on the planet Earth, right? It's exclusive. It's only through Jesus. But it's inclusive. It's all those who place their faith in Christ. Jesus uh, calls us children of God. And this passage in Romans 8.14 is, is striking. It demonstrates as children, if we're to be led by the Spirit, we need to have a disposition, a disposition of childlike trust. I mean, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 19, uh, speaking of children, he said, the kingdom of heaven belongs to such of these. He says elsewhere that we're to have faith like children. We're to have faith like a child. If we, if we are led by God's Spirit, we are God's sons and daughters. We're understanding that we are in a family to where we need to trust God and have faith like a child. There's nothing more challenging to the identity and being a child of God than to continue uh, in sin. But there's nothing more confirming when you continually follow day after day. You know, before I was a teenager, uh, dad or mom, they, 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 were, they knew everything, right? I mean, think about that before you were a teenager. Like, you'd ask them a question, and they could just completely say something kind of crazy. I'm like, oh, okay, right, you know, let's talk, where's the tallest building in America? It's in Kenosha, oh, okay, right, right. Like, you would never question it, right? Until you became a teenager, and then you questioned everything, all right? Even on a road trip, my dad would get lost. And now looking back, my dad got lost a lot. Sorry, dad. Uh, they got lost a lot. And you know what? I never felt like I was unsafe or like we would never get to the destination. You just had this trust. And that's what God wants with us. He wants us to trust. He wants us to have that childlike faith, that spirit of the living God, what you say in your word, I'm going to believe. What you say in your word, I am going to let you follow the lead. What you speak and confirm in the everyday life, when you open up doors, when, when you're leading, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to trust you. Because often when we trust Jesus, it will not be convenient. It will lead to ultimate eternal happiness, yes. But in the moment, you might not like it. But here's the deal. Jesus will seem foreign to you. 
he'll seem distant when people say, oh, God just seems so distant. Sometimes God puts you in the desert to grow you. Okay, that's a good when, he, when you feel distant, right? But there's other times we put ourselves in the desert. When we put ourselves in the desert, that's because we've chosen not to read God's word. And when you don't read God's word, you might remember things from a Sunday morning. You might remember things when you were in a youth group or when you went to Sunday school or when you went to a class or life group. But it's not good enough just to learn something and say, I'll remember it a week later. God has given us his word, the accessibility of his word so that we can commune with his word every day. But if you're not in God's word, he's going to begin to seem distant. Why? Because you're putting yourself in the desert. You put yourself in the desert when you live a prayerless life. You put yourself in the desert when you're seeking to do things in your own power and not the strength of the holy spirit when you're not when you 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 put yourself in the desert when you don't have a life of thanksgiving a life of praise a life that doesn't seek after his presence you'll seem distant and when he seems distant you become careless about your obedience and when you're careless about your obedience you begin to doubt the promises and things of god and this is where the enemy wants you he is crafty he prowls around like a roaring lion ready to pounce He wants you to live a life with God at the side at best and maybe God nowhere to be found in your life. He wants your joy to be blunted and he wants you to take the position of thinking you are the leader of your life. Now, don't mishear me. God wants us to take responsibility, personal responsibility, but never ever live in the delusion that you are in full control of your life. The Lord God Almighty is in full control. He is our leader. He is our Lord. But the enemy wants you to think that you can forge your own identity. He wants you to place yourself in the position of creator instead of creation. And this is the ethic of our culture. You can say whatever you want to be. You can be whatever you want to be. You can forge your own identity. And if anybody tells you differently, then they are the one committing the heresy. And it is a complete satanic deception to think that we can become our own gods. But the individualism of our society has come to the point where people delusionally think they are their own God. They won't necessarily say it, maybe some people will, but they will live like that is true. And by the way, you cannot live that I'm going to do whatever I want to do and say that I am being led by the Lord at the same time. You can't do it. And churches that are preaching and celebrating this hyperhumanism are leading people straight towards the cliff of destruction. We must be people of the word. Now, I've heard someone say this, actually quite recently, I heard someone say this and said, you know, I'm cool with Jesus and all, but I really like my life. I just want to keep living it. I just just want to keep living my own, you know, moral ethic, whether it be their own sexual ethic, whether it be their own financial ethic, whether it be, you know, their ethic of of how they process things in their minds or the words that come out of their mouth. I I just, I'll let, you know, if Jesus, you know, wants me to follow him, then, uh, then I'm just going to let him get me, right? I mean, if Jesus is in control, then he'll, he'll, you know, he'll pull me aside and put me on the right path. He'll just have to make me. The Spirit, indeed, can do that. You saw that with the Apostle Paul, right? Uh, he could knock you down. He could blind you. He could show up and say, why are you persecuting me? He could sit on you and make you cry, uncle. But... I would say that's not his normal modus operandi. The Spirit's normal modus operandi is what Martin Lloyd-Jones says, so I'm not going to try to make it better because he said it great. Martin Lloyd-Jones said this. He says, what the Spirit does is to enlighten and persuade us because he's gentle. He's gentle. The Holy Spirit's impulse can be very strong, but there's no compulsion, meaning we have a part in the obedience. 
He will lead. We will have to follow. And with the continual obedience, our confidence in our identity as children of God grows and our reliance on the Spirit grows. So what he's saying is this. Is that oftentimes, most of the time, the Spirit is going to nudge you. It may be a strong nudge. It may be so clear. But you have the personal responsibility to follow. To obey. It's a great mystery, I know. He's completely in control, and yet we have responsibility. I hope to understand that better when I get to heaven. The Spirit speaks to his children by his power. He speaks by his leading. And we have the responsibility to answer yes to his leading. Third, he speaks to his children by his favor. Romans chapter 8, verse 15. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. Instead, you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. Notice that we receive the spirit of what's called right here, adoption. Adoption is beautiful. There are a, a number of people in this church that have adopted children. Uh, adoption is full of love and grace that extends it towards children that are, that are not from uh, the, the husband or wife's physical kids or the children. Um, again, there's a number of people in this church that have taken on this beautiful act. And when a child is adopted in a family, they attain the rights and privileges of that family. And when I've attended adoption hearings, the part that gives me goosebumps each and every time is when the judge asks the family if they know what they're getting into. And this is what he says. He says, you do realize this adoption is irrevocable. Ooh, it gives me goosebumps. Why? Because I realize when we are adopted in the family of God, God's got us. He's got us. When you place your faith in Christ, your status before him is irrevocable. But in addition to our contemporary understanding of adoption, the usage of this word during the time of the Roman Empire carried an even deeper meaning. And one that is applied uh, particularly to this situation. In the Roman Empire, an adoptive son was deliberately chosen by the father to not just become part of the family, but to represent the family name and inherit the fortunes. Did you get that? The adopted child was able to take on the name and represent the name and represented the estate. This has major ramifications, church. When you are adopted, you just are not forgiven, right? Like, oh, you know, I, all those sins you committed, I took care of them. No, no, he adopted you as sons and daughters to represent his name, to inherit his fortunes. Did you get that, church? That means that you are favored. That means, like, who's the one that's favored in the family? You can say, me. I have the favor of God over my life. When you're an adopted son and daughter, you represent his name, you inherit his fortunes, you are favored. And as a result, you're no longer a slave to sin, but you are a child of God. Now that word slave meant master. And make no mistake, you are mastered by something. People are like, well, I'm my own boss. No, you're not. You're either mastered by your flesh, by sin, or you are mastered by the Lord. It's one or the other. Your flesh or Jesus. And every other thing that masters you will destroy you. That's not Jesus. But not so with the leadership of our Lord. Because he leads in a different way. His way is what we see here in, in verse 15. Is Abba Father. Not the band Abba. I know some of you want Dancing Queen to be a worship song. And I'm really sorry because some of you now have Dancing Queen stuck in your head for the rest of the day. Alright, I'm sorry. Alright. But 
Abba is the informal Arabic term for father. The formal way of approaching God is calling him father, but the informal way, what we see here, is we get to relate to him as daddy or papa. No religious person would ever dare approaching God this way at this time. But we see that when you place your faith and trust in Christ alone, when the Spirit of God comes in you, when you're filled with the Spirit, you realize who God is to you. He is your father. He's your daddy. Who loves you. Who is perfect. Who's good in all the ways and way he relates to you. Some of you this morning have had a hard relationship with your earthly father. When you think of God the Father, you're like, oh man, I don't really want to think of it that way. Listen. Whether you're a good father, you're a mediocre father, or you've been a bad father. God the Father is our father we never had. Because he's perfect in all his ways. He really is a good father. He's our daddy. The one that seeks to hear our heart. The one that seeks to know us in a deep way. The one that seeks to know us not just by facts, but by person. The Spirit leads us into this intimacy in a childlike manner. Your adoption brings favor. And when you walk in step of the Spirit, you sense this favor. The Spirit speaks to us sure by His power, His leading, His favor. And finally, He speaks to you by His voice. Verse 16. The Spirit Himself testifies together with our spirit that we are God's children. And if children, also heirs. Heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with Him so that we may also be glorified with Him. What we see very clearly in this passage is God still speaks. His spirit still speaks. He speaks clearly through his scripture. He convicts you in the day to day. He fills you to know his way each and every moment of your day. And as a child of God, we have an invitation to listen to him. The spirit moved through 40 different authors to perfectly write out the word of God. That when you read the Bible, you don't read it like just any other book. It's why the word of God is literally sharper than a two-edged sword. It's alive. The Holy Spirit that wrote the scriptures is speaking to the, the Holy Spirit that lives in you. The same Spirit. It's confirming in you. And when you go through the everyday life, the voice of God speaks to your soul. Never in contradiction to his word. If someone says, oh, I, I heard God speak and it's in contradiction to his word. Eh, wrong. That's not God, right? And his voice is the greatest gift. Speaking to us, confirming with us who God is and that we're his kids. And this is so important because we see in verse 17 that you will encounter trials of various kinds. But specifically, there are going to be moments you suffer for the Lord. Now in America, traditionally, you've suffered, but it's usually been more of an inconvenience than persecution. That could change. I can't tell you what's going to happen in the future. But what I want you to know is this. There are going to be times... That when you, because of your relationship with Jesus, it's going to hurt. Don't mistake. There's times of unspeakable joy. Day by day unspeakable joy of having a relationship with Jesus. But there are going to be moments, because of Jesus, you'll either be made fun of, you might lose a promotion. It could get worse. In different countries, people lose their lives. And without the Spirit of God filling you, you're going to be challenged to continue to walk in a way 
continues on. The Spirit of God, His voice, is going to be that nudge, that holy nudge, that holy empowerment to keep you going. We need to be in cooperation with the Spirit so that His miraculous gifts can be used through us to build His church and to move His kingdom forward. I want to demonstrate this one more way. As a child of God, we have an invitation and obligation to join God in what he's already doing. That he can demonstrate his power through us. But often people will err one way or the other theologically. Some of them are saying, well, you know what? All of God's kingdom, all of God's ways, it's dependent on me, right? If I don't do it, uh-oh, the kingdom of God is going to be arrested forever, right? And, and, and in this view, this theological error, God's up in heaven saying, oh, no, I wonder what they're going to do. Oh, no, right? That's an error. Like, God's sovereign, right? He knows what's going to happen. And listen, if we're going to be, if, if we're going to be stubborn and not obey God, he'll find somebody else for him to use for his kingdom purposes to go. All right? I, don't, when I, I want you to know this is yes, God doesn't need to use me, but he made me to be used, which means I don't want to miss the blessing of him using me, right? I don't want to miss the blessing of God's power being demonstrated through my obedience towards him. So that's one error, that, you know, everything's dependent on me. No, it's not. The other error is, well, God, just show up, right? I'll, I'll, I'll walk with you, I'll run with you, I'll, I'll worship you if you just make me, and I've already addressed that, that's an error too. So here's the reason why we're obedient. Because we love him period we do it because we love him not because of what we're going to get not because we have to right because we love him romans 12 1 says this therefore brothers and sisters if you have the mercies of god i urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice holy and pleasing to god this is your true worship we do it because we love him so how are we to cooperate with the spirit reminds me of this reminds me of my kid's trike. You can go and bring that out there. All right? Awesome. Oh, hi, Tom. Are you going to ride it? Okay. Don't. It'll break it. All right. So anyway, this is my kid's trike. All three of my kids learn how to pedal on this thing. All right? Now, what's interesting is when we bought this, there's no way that my three kids could pedal. They were too, they were too young. Right? But we still wanted to get on it, get get them used to it, how to pedal. And so whether it be Elias, Etta, or Graham, they would get on this thing, and they would try to pedal, and in their own strength, they couldn't get anywhere. But this is what this handle came in. That's why we bought it. Because we'd start moving it. And when we started moving it, all of our kids were like, whoa, look where I'm going. Look what I'm doing. Look how fast I'm going. And they had no clue. It was us doing the pushing, right? This is how it is with us and the Lord. We get hung up on what am I doing or what's God doing? Listen, here's the deal. God's enabling you and pushing you and giving you the power to be obedient. This is where you come in. You got to be willing to get on. You got to be willing to get on. And that's precisely what it is when we are willing participants stepping into whatever the Spirit is doing. He begins to move in us, work through us, grows us, and takes us places 
we would never go alone. So here's some application for this week. Pray the Spirit will break strongholds in your life. I want you to pray throughout this week the strongholds that have defined your previous life before Christ, or even during Christ, will be broken. The Spirit can give you power to do that. He'll give you the resources to do that. He'll give you the people that surround you to start taking those steps. Now, breaking a breakthrough, or having a breakthrough, and breaking strongholds often start with identifying it and telling somebody, hey, this is an issue. It doesn't happen all at once. It can. Most typically, it happens in steps. Number two, pray that you will endure sufferings for the sake of Jesus. I do believe there are going to be moments, if they're not already here, where sharing Jesus, inviting people to church, sharing the gospel, being about the things of Jesus could cost you something. Pray the Holy Spirit will give you boldness, just as they did in Acts 4. Number three, pray God will remind you to view yourself as a child of God. You're a child of God. When you remember that, you understand the favor that he wants to freely bestow on you to do the things of God. Fourth, make space to read, talk, and listen to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit can meet you in a moment. He can meet you as you're going. Man, but there's such joy and depth when you create space to just say, here I am, Lord. Here I am, Lord. To make space. For some of you, you're going to need to set a timer on your phone. It's going to need to go off because it's going to need to remind you, oh yeah, I'm going to make space at this time. So that's a practical tip. Set an alarm. This is my time with the Lord. It could be 15 minutes. It could be longer. Number two, this could be done beautifully in life groups. This could be done beautifully with your friendship groups. Find a way this week to show our city the love of Jesus. Just ask him, Jesus, how can I show love to this city? Because 99.999% of the city isn't here, isn't here this morning. But how can Emmanuel Kenosha Church or people of Emmanuel Kenosha Church show love to this city? That's the go moment of the week. So Father, we love you and we thank you we thank you that for those that place their faith and trust in Jesus, that we are children of God empowered by the Holy Spirit. Father, I pray for a few things. Number one, I pray for those in this room right now that are not children of God because they have not placed their faith and trust in you. I pray for those right now that don't know you, that right now they would cry out to you. Right now they would say, Jesus, I need you in my life. Right now they would seek you to, for the forgiveness of their sins. In fact, as we continue to pray, let me just talk to you. For those of you that are in this room, and it's okay, we have people in this room almost every week that don't know Jesus. But if you're in this room and you've never made Jesus personal, if you've never asked him to, to, to forgive you of your sins, if you've never placed your faith and trust in him alone, that he died on the cross for your sins and that he rose from the dead, this is your moment to make right with him. And listen, you might be thinking of all the things that you have to get right before you can be made right before God, but that's not the gospel. Here's the gospel. God created you to have a relationship with him. But the wrong that you committed, the sin, separated you from Almighty God. He's distant because of that. And there's no amount of religion or good works that can take away sin. Contrary to popular opinion, nothing, nothing you can do can remedy this situation that you're separated from Almighty God. But that's why Jesus came. Jesus came fully God, fully man to this earth 
to die in your place. He took on the punishment of your sin on the cross. He rose from the dead because he's a perfect sacrifice. And the Bible says, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that he rose from the dead, you will be saved. You will be born again. You will be a child of God. So with every head's bowed and eyes closed, if that's you, today you want to make this personal. Today you want to place your faith and trust in Jesus. Just do this one thing for me just so I can pray for you during the week. I might not know your name, but I want to remember your face. I want to pray for you as you take this bold step. But if today you want to place your faith and trust in Jesus, today you want to make it personal, today you want to experience that forgiveness, today you want to become a child of God, no matter what you bring into this room, he's willing and able to receive you right now. If that's you, you want to receive Jesus, just make eye contact with me right now. Say, yep, that's me. I want to place my faith and trust in Jesus alone. I want to place my faith and trust in him alone. Thank you. I want to place my faith and trust in him alone. Awesome. Today you're placing your faith and trust in Jesus. Let me just help you pray to him. This prayer doesn't save you. I'm just helping you communicate to them. Just say, Lord Jesus, thank you for making me. I realize I've done wrong in my life. I need you. I place my full faith and trust in you alone, Jesus. Thank you for dying on the cross. Thank you for raising from the dead. Thank you for making me new. Now help me in this new life. In Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to this week's episode. Again, if you'd like more information about Emmanuel Kenosha Church, then check us out online at kenosha.church. Also, we'd love it if you'd connect with us on Facebook or Instagram, both at kenosha.church. Lastly, if you enjoyed this podcast, we encourage you to subscribe to us on iTunes at Emmanuel Kenosha. That way, you never have to miss an episode. At Emmanuel, we are not perfect people, but we are people being made new through Jesus. Thanks for listening to this week's episode, and we'll see you next time on the Emmanuel Message Podcast.